Welcome to First Rung, a stuff-homed podcast brought to you with support from Razine. I'm reporter and would-be homeowner Kylie Klein-Nixon, and I'm taking a deep, deep, deep dive into the heady, confusing, sometimes eye-wateringly expensive world of buying your first home. In the last episode, I exploded a few myths around house buying. In this episode, we finally get to the fun stuff, actual house hunting. I love house hunting. But is being led around by my eye and heart really doing it right? To find out, I caught up with homes.co.nz's chief property data wrangler, Tom Linton, who explains why some first-time buyers might be giving up on the quarter-acre dream. It's more common to find a relatively new property and, you know, with all those new home features. First-time buyer Satinda Sunny Kalsana shares why he upended his life to get on the ladder. We will never be able to buy this piece of real estate in this sort of money back in Auckland. Then, after a quick lesson in open home etiquette, Real Estate Institute of New Zealand's Bindi Normal and I discussed that all-important first home feature. Location, location, location. So prepare to be swept off your feet in a whirlwind of open homes, private viewings and silver-tongued estate agents whose cheeky listings will ensorcel and beguile. But first, this... I'm real estate agent Ben Atwill, and this is your insider's guide to house listings. As rare as hen's tea. A bit of a confusing expression. All the agent is actually trying to express without too much effort is that the property is unique. But be sure to couple this phrase with the pictures because it also might mean it's a ridiculously expensive four-bedroom turn-of-the-century villa in the heart of Mount Victoria, Ponsonby, and both the agent and the vendor know exactly how well it's going to perform at market. When soaring house prices mean getting on the ladder in our main centres is next to impossible, thinking outside the box, or outside the quarter-acre dream anyway, might be the answer. Well, homes.co.nz's Tom Linton thinks that's an option some first-time buyers are already picking up on. I caught up with him to talk about apartments, flats, and the quarter-acre dream. Hi, Tom. Thanks for joining us today. No worries. I'm happy to join. So, um, location is key, but it's often uh, first-timers that can't afford, like, the hottest locations. How do you spot an up-and-coming location that's slightly to boost the value of your uh, of your new home over time? I'd be in a different job if I if I had a crystal ball like that. But my one piece of <laughs> advice is just to do your research. Right, it's important to just get your feet on the ground, go to open homes, track houses through the market, see what they ultimately sold for, and. The more you see, the more you'll get a sense of what's going on, I think. So let's talk about apartments versus detached homes. Obviously, like that quarter acre dream is is the ideal, but apartments are often cheaper than houses. Are they becoming the go-to option for first-time buyers? Yeah, Kylie, I think they are. So our data is definitely seeing a lot more being sold, especially in some of our main centres. And I imagine that they are becoming a lot more appealing to first-time buyers and I guess this is largely a necessity just due to the price in some areas, but it also does provide mm. first-time buyers a way to continue their lifestyle, you know, being close to the city without actually having to move out to the city fringe. There's definitely a lot of benefits to it too. Right, so it's the trade-off, isn't it, of being closer to town. You don't have a garden or you don't have a car park or you sort of don't mm. have those sort of 
fringe benefits you get out in the suburbs. What what kind of benefits are there? What are the main benefits of living in an apartment, do you reckon? You don't have that quarter acre dream, but like I said, you, you're often a lot more central location and it's more common to find a relatively new property and, you know, with all those new home features that, that comes with that. What are some of the things apartment buyers should be wary of or, or look out for? The big ones are understanding your obligations as an apartment owner. So understanding what your body corp in the apartment building might be. It's important to understand how the property is owned. So is the apartment on a leasehold? Uh, or is on a cross lease. So all of those things have a few gotchas, so it's all part of doing your research and due diligence there. Tom says due diligence should include familiarising yourself with terms like body corp or body corporate, company share, freehold, leasehold and cross lease. Made up of unit or apartment owners, a body corp is like the building's governing body. You might have to pay your corp an annual fee or levy on top of what you paid for your unit. This covers the upkeep of communal areas like the gardens, laundries, lobbies and the building itself, as well as the building insurance. Because of these fees, some banks may expect a larger deposit for homes with a body corp. Also, depending on your body corp agreement, there may be restrictions on things like pets or renting the home out. So it pays to ask the agent or vendor for their information up front. They have to give it to you. We'll hear more about company shares, freehold, leasehold and cross-lease in episode 3. In the meantime, you should be aware that they all have a little fine print associated with them. It's important to understand, but not all apartments are like that. It's just probably a bit more common if you're looking in the apartment market, but I think apartments in the more high density living is definitely something that first-time buyers should consider and, you know, there's plenty of great options out there. What other kinds of, like homes or studios conversions or buildings that might need converting would make an offbeat first home choice i mean should you even be thinking of offbeat first homes i'm just kind of trying to think outside the box really well every property type kind of has their doer uppers and if you're lucky to to find one and you're the type of person who's willing to get the hands dirty then that's great and what are some things you could look for maybe somewhere you can set up a proper home office you know we've all kind of worked through in the last few months working from home and some of the difficulties that that has and mm. maybe thinking ahead that could be some opportunities like business opportunities if you had a space that was suitable for your place of work mm. there's other things to look at that may not actually require converting but maybe you've got a sleep hour that could be on airbnb or you could have a long-term tenant or or even something that's set up for where you are in your life stage. These extra spaces can be used in different ways. Right. Let's talk about doing um, viewings in open homes because there's sort of some etiquette around doing viewings in open homes. Like, What should you always check? What should you always be looking out for? I know someone who always turns on the taps in the shower to check the water pressure. Uh, should you be looking in cupboards <laughs> and, you know, how nosy can you actually be? Oh, if it's an open home, you can open every cupboard and dig deep, but it's also amazing how little you do do. <laughs> when we bought our first house and walked through, I had a little chuckle because it's, it's a bit of a lucky dip, right? You turn on the shower and hope that's got pressure. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, yeah. So, so I definitely probably didn't do enough checking myself, but I guess it's important as you're going through not just the open home, but the whole buying process is to just make sure you talk to experts right throughout the process. So you may research prices on homes, great. But it's also important to understand from the real estate agent 
where they expect things to be priced. So the same goes for building reports and other due diligence. If you don't have the knowledge to make an informed decision on this stuff, it's worth paying the dollars up front because it could definitely save you a nasty shock a bit later on. Right. Yeah, mm. for sure. What are the sort of things you'd ask an estate agent at a viewing? And also, like, who who should you take with you to a viewing? Is it worth taking a friendly builder or a relative who's sort of savvy about this sort of stuff? Yeah, no, um, I'm sure it, it's better to have have someone with you. And a friendly builder is definitely going to help you make an instant yay or an instant nay decision if there's some glaring defects of the property. Mm you'd probably still need someone to actually look a bit closer and get up into the roof and all those type of things. But in terms of the real estate agent, I would uh, make sure I ask as much as I can. So understand why is the owner selling? Was the property owner occupied or did they have tenants? If so, how much rent do they pay? Does the real estate agent have a building report on hand? But it's probably important to make sure you get your own as well. Then once you're getting a bit more towards the pointy end of buying it's worth trying to understand what the minimum price a seller would accept but then bearing in mind that the real estate agent is also working for the vendor or the seller so mm-hmm. you you may want to keep your maximum price close to your chest but the more the more you can get out of the real estate agents the better and what's your sort of final piece of advice for 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 doing those viewings like what's the one thing you should definitely do at a viewing do your research i think mm. Before you even get there. Mm. That's great. Thanks so much, Tom. Excellent talking to you today. Yeah, no worries. When it comes time to put your mark on your first home, check out Resine for the professional advice you need for your decorating projects. Tom says it pays to be flexible and keep an open mind when it comes to where you're looking for a new home. That strategy worked wonders for Christchurch homeowner Satinda Sunny Kalsana. After years of scrimping and saving in Auckland, Sunny and his wife Harpreet took the enthusiastic advice of a friend and decided to look way outside their property comfort zones for a place to call their own. That decision changed their life. So, Sunny, you and Hartpreet lived in Auckland, and but you made the decision to move down to Christchurch to buy your first home. So why was that? We lived in Auckland, like, for 10 years, and uh, we were always, like, on a house and uh, start a family. And uh, the options in Auckland, the budget we had, we had to move out either, like, you know, way too far or compromise, uh, you know, what we want as a house. And even for that, like, uh, we didn't see um, any value to our money. If we were going to buy a house in Auckland, we were just going to live there hand to mouth. And we didn't want to do that. We thought, like, what can be the other option? Like, you know, uh, how how about we try outside of Auckland? And uh, we started looking at some options moving out of Auckland. You went to Palmerston North first, didn't you? Yeah, we picked up Palmerston North first. Because they were still in North Island. We were like, oh yeah, close to Wellington. Yeah, we can give it a shot. We went there to have a wee look. And um, Palmy is is beautiful town, beautiful city. It's just uh, wasn't like, you know, setting according to our demands. So mm. someone said, why don't you try Christchurch? And uh, we flew down here in beginning of 2017 to have a look around. I had a maid who was already uh, living here. And, uh, yeah, Christchurch had, like, everything what we needed. 
It's got an international airport, good unis, good schools. The the city itself was booming and going through the refurbishment. And we were like, oh, yeah, this is us. We can move down it here. suited you. Yeah. Yeah. And you built your home, didn't you? Yeah, we, we built a, a brand new house. Yeah. It's amazing. And so it's a, and it's a four bedroom place. So compared to what you would have been able to get in Auckland for the same money, how does it compare? Look, comparison wise, I've got a few mates in real estate business. We would never be able to buy this piece of real estate in this sort of money back in Auckland. We never thought of like buying a four bed house in Auckland because mm. it wasn't in our budget. So like, you can't compare the price-wise, the mortgage-wise, the land-wise, and the affordability. It's just, you can't compare. So how has it impacted on your lifestyle moving down to Christchurch? Was it like difficult to leave Auckland? And you know, how has it impacted on your life? It wasn't a big Im- impact. Like we actually loved it. Like, you know, the, the pace of life here is just, that's what we needed, like, you know, slow pace. And people's got a time to talk to you. You know, uh, if someone's on the street, you ca- you want to like have a chat with someone like anywhere. People, they they got a time for you. They can stop for a while and have a chat. We actually loved it. We should have done this ages ago. Because mm. uh, then we like plan for a baby. It's just amazing. It's, I just love it. Because you'd put off having a family, starting a family up in Auckland because you couldn't afford it. Is that right? But, yeah, but yeah, that was right. Because because yeah. we were already living hand to mouth, and we there was no chance like you know we were going to plan for a baby or a house. So, what would your advice to people who are struggling to get onto the ladder? What would your advice to them be? I would say. Uh, Think outside of Auckland, there's plenty of other beautiful cities. I would say it's never too late. It's plenty of options. Don't be afraid of moving outside of Auckland. Because people, even uh, we thought like, oh, outside of Auckland, New Zealand is just about like sheep and cows. But it's, it's not like that, you know? <laughs> so it's just a mindset of any, any busy mm. family living in uh, New Zealand, like in Auckland. I think people worry that they'll struggle to find work. How yes, was that that's for you right. guys when you, you sort of moved we away? We thought the same thing, but it's pl- plenty of jobs. The jobs we were doing, we doing the similar jobs here. So it's the same companies, same mm. employees. Just a different, J- just different, a different, different city, mm. that's all. The place uh, we have now, it's not too far from the city, not too far from the airport, closer to our workplaces, easy commute to our workplaces or like supermarket or any other shopping places. So these are the things like one would look if uh, buying a first house. Did you make sure when you built your first home that it was going to be sort of future-proofed? You know, you, you, you're going to stay there for a while rather than buying somewhere smaller and then moving up and moving up? At the moment, we're happy with the, with this house. We love this neighbourhood. Sort of in next 10, 15 years' time, I don't think so. We need a new house or we need to downgrade it or we need a bigger house. At the moment, we are, we're so happy, happy in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Oh, thank you so much for your time today. That's, that's a great story to hear. No, Cheers, always, You're always welcome. Your Insider's Guide to House Listings. Lovingly Maintained. This is usually a property where someone has raised a family and made memories, so this is a respectful way of acknowledging and appreciating their ownership while also signalling the home's potential. But there's that word potential again. When I use this phrase, it's usually for an older client that has lived at the property a long time but hasn't really done much upgrading over the years. 
Lovingly maintained properties make great first homes as they're usually ready to live in as they are, apart from perhaps the citrus yellow bathtub and the orange shake pile carpet. But I bet you the lovely old Nana who has owned it before you has vacuumed that carpet every day since she bought it for $24,000 at 22% interest 50 years ago. Do you have good open home etiquette? It's awfully awkward snooping around a stranger's home, isn't it? But you mustn't be put off. Open homes are for everyone. And as long as you maintain good manners and the correct etiquette, you'll get on swimmingly. First of all, footwear. Be prepared to take off your shoes at the door. That means socks and stockings on, people. Secondly, don't let your emotions run away with you. Keep a stiff upper lip and try not to let the pressure push you into making an offer you can't afford. During the viewing, you may be left to your own devices, so don't be afraid to explore. But don't be too nosy. Opening closets is one thing, opening dresses and drawers is quite another. Quiz yourself. Do the number of rooms suit your needs? Are the ceilings and floors even and in good repair? Don't be afraid to turn on the taps and check the water pressure. No one likes a damp squib. And while we're on the subject, take a sniff. How does the home smell? Mustiness could mean dampness. It's perfectly reasonable to take note, but be sure to check with the real estate agent before taking any photographs. Finally, you may wonder if it's permissible to use a lavatory at an open home or viewing. It never hurts to ask, and the estate agent will certainly let you know what they think. But good etiquette's answer is absolutely not. It's all very well worrying about manners and etiquette, but don't forget you're looking for your future home, so it pays to be thorough. Here are five things you're probably going to need to think about at an open home or viewing. Number one, what are the heating and ventilation like? Do the doors and windows around the property open easily? Are there any damp marks on your ceilings? Number two, the layout. Is it going to be right for you? Do you think there'll be enough storage? Do you think all your furniture will fit into this house? Number three, how secure is it? Are the latches on the windows around the property? What about an alarm? Is there one? And what's the neighbourhood like as well? Number four, this is a big one. What condition is it in? Can you see any cracks, droopy or crumbly bits around the property? Are the gutters in good neck as well? Because you'll need those come winter time. Number five, is the new garden going to be manageable? Are the trees close to the house that will need maintenance? Are they going to constantly block the light? Look, those are just a few of the many things you probably should be looking for at a viewing or open home. For more detail, you're going to need to make sure you ask for a limb and builder's report. And don't just take our word for it as well. Ask a builder or other professionals for more advice. My dream first home is somewhere isolated and semi-rural, on a huge plot surrounded by acres of old-growth forest. Depending on what day of the week it is, it's either architecturally designed with double-height ceilings and walls of glass, or it's a venerable old villa with Victorian mouldings and wraparound veranda. To cap off the dream, it cost me about 200k, and the rates are negligible. Okay, I know I need a reality check. And who better to get one from than Real Estate Institute of New Zealand's Chief Executive, Bindi Norwell. 
Hey, Bindi, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So um, Brains represents about 14,000 real estate professionals around New Zealand. So I'm hoping you'll be able to pin this down for me. But what makes a great first home from a buyer's perspective? Well, it's interesting, actually. I, I mean, buying a home obviously can be extremely exciting, but also very stressful. And I think the best thing when you're buying a house is to do as much research as you can about what really suits you. And I guess people should think that it's probably not going to be their home for life, that actually you may have to compromise a bit on having the perfect home when you're trying to get into the market. What's really important for people is having a home that can be close to transport, that you know it can facilitate their day-to-day life reasonably easy as well. So how much is the location sort of matter at this stage like if you have to go a little bit further out is that going to be okay or or should you always be trying to go for the closest sort of most and sort of central kind of property probably just be as close as you can um, or even near to transport links because eventually if you do decide to potentially purchase another house and keep that that one if you rent it out all the things that you think about um, which would appeal to a renter as well Bearing in mind that people are working from home more these days and some people need to move a bit further out to get that level of price that is more affordable as well. You know, and I would always look at what's planned for the future in terms of uh, new transport links as well. I think if you can really cotton on to those opportunities, I think that will put you in good stead as well. So what do you think about the difference between buying something that might be a bit of a fixer-upper that you might have to work on, but that might polish up nicely, compared to buying something like a, a new build, a new sort of starter home, new build sort of thing? Well, they both have pros and cons, really. I think um, my thoughts with properties is always to find something that you can add a bit of value to. I think that's you know a way of you know making capital gains as well, if you do it quick and smartly. But I guess buying a house that's um, you're building as well, you do have the ability to you know design it how you want, and because it takes a lot of time and effort, you can actually make good capital gains on building a house as well. It's just weighing up what level of work is required in those do ups, and also whether the the new builds are are in a, an appealing area that's you know potentially even up and coming. Bindi says with do-ups, it's important to be wary of overcapitalizing or improving a property beyond its resale value. That's why you need to get some good advice. Speak to builders, uh, speak to real estate agents. You know, what is required to, to make this home even more appealing and how much money is really involved in this. And I would get a really good building inspect, inspection report as well done which will help identify any issues with that property because what you don't want is to find out that there's um, lots of rot or some borer or some issues that you weren't aware of that can add to those costs. Right. If you are going to do something up, it really is around being um, – I know people have their own tastes, but if you, you think that um, – future-proof it to a certain extent as well, but, you know, actually making sure that it will appeal to a wide range of people as well when you, if you decide to sell it. Right. So, so don't paint paint everything purple and try and try and stick to sort of more broader appeal. That's right. If you're thinking about a long term strategy, yes. I was talking to a real estate agent the other day about up and coming suburbs and trying to pick somewhere that's going to be the next Petoni, the next Ponsonby. I, I'm not sure how to, how what it's like up in Auckland, but what is a good criteria to look for for an up and coming sort of suburb or area? We think those areas that are close to transport links 
or soon to be transport links as well. So I would advise anyone to have a look at what's planned for their particular council in terms of those infrastructure developments. We're hearing some of these up and coming suburbs, those a little bit further out, but are reasonably more affordable. And actually some of them have quite a lot of do ups in that area. I mean, I'd just be doing a huge amount of research going and seeing seeing an area, um, looking at sort of the, the new cafes and the new shops that are happening in the area. You can see how uh, a suburb actually gradually progresses um, and it becomes more and more popular. So if you can actually get your timing right to work out, well, this is probably something that's going to take off in terms of an area of appeal, and I would concentrate on those areas if I was a first-time buyer as well. And it's really speaking to the, some locals as well. So agents will help you, real estate agents, but also speaking to people that live in that community, you know, shop owners and, you know, and get their yeah, observations. The local cafe, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's great. Great advice. Thanks so much for that, Bindi. Thank you so much for having me um, involved. And I know it can be quite daunting, but a very exciting experience for people to buy the first time. We're getting closer to that first rung, folks. Join me for the next episode and we'll pull on our big boy and girl pants, get building reports written, talk to lawyers and learn how to make an offer. I'm Kylie Klein-Nixon and this is First Rung. Huge thanks to our guests Bindi Norwell, Sunny Kalsana, Tom Linton and Ray White real estate agent Ben Atwell. Shout out to producer Joe Hayward and Stuff podcast director Adam Dudding. Thanks also to our sponsors Rosine, New Zealand made paints for New Zealand made homes. You can find First Rung on all the podcast platforms. And if you want to get in touch with me, hit me up at homedatstuff.co.nz. We really want to hear your first home buying queries and stories. Happy house hunting! Mm-hmm.